see if it's on. That's better. My apologies to the booth. I think my mic was on the entire time we were doing worship. <laughs> if you heard me, I apologize to you too. <laughs> I make a joyful noise. <laughs> joyful to somebody. I'm sure it wouldn't be any of you guys in here though. <laughs> oh, that's embarrassing. How do I recover from that? My name is Corey Ogborn, I'm the pastor of missions and young adults. You may not know much about me, so I'm going to give you a few other things, get to know you type of stuff. I am also the office manager. I'm also uh, the IT kind of connection at our church. We hire a lot of IT stuff out, but I'm the one that determines whether or not I can fix it or we hire it out. Uh, I get to work with young adults, so a lot of times I'm a dad, a lot of times I'm a mom, a lot of times I'm everything in between. Um, there's not much between dad and mom, but everything between a pastor and a parent, and that's a lot of fun. It's a gift God has given me for this season of life. Uh, they encourage me and bless me. TJ is an intern in our satellite ministry, which is our young adult ministry, and uh, I think a good portion of my week is, is working with him and pouring into him. <laughs> um, young adults are an incredible blessing, and if you have a young adult, they need to get involved in Satellite. Satellite is a community I think they really need to be a part of. If you have a young adult that you work with, if you know a young adult uh, that's a neighbor, uh, tell them there is a community that exists that they can be a part of. Uh, it's a lot of fun. I, I don't have any real life updates for you. I'm not going to talk about the Niners. A lot of times when I preach, I talk about the Niners. I talk about pop culture. I'm not going to talk about the Dodgers. Not much to say there. Um, I'm not going to... Sorry. <laughs> I'm not going to talk about television. I was totally into a particular show, and I preached about it one Sunday, like, you guys should, like, watch this show. And then it moved from television to Netflix, and I started watching the season on Netflix, and I was like, oh, I need to apologize for that. So I find myself, like, apologizing a lot of times for things that I've said before. So I, this morning, I'm going to be easy. I'm just going to talk about church. I'm going to talk about myself, our life. I've told you before, uh, we have divided our lives into two time segments. Uh, Sarah and I have been married for 13 years. And in that 13 years, we've divided our marriage into two segments, pre-pug and post-pug. So those of you who know me, who follow me on Instagram, you know that there's a Walt in the world, and Walt takes up a lot of my time. Got to spend time with them on Saturday. Fridays are normally our day, but I was busy on Friday doing yard work and stuff, so I got to spend time with Walt on Saturday. That's always good. So uh, yeah, that's me. Uh, now let's get to know a little bit about you. We'll just start over here. No. <laughs> Pastor John's not with us this morning, so I say that and it sounds horrible every time I say it. I need to adjust my phraseology. He is with us, like he is living, he's around, but he's not here this morning. Uh, I need to kind of adjust that a little bit, but Pastor John is on vacation with Shelly. She is uh, recovering from cancer, maybe recovered, she feels. Uh, so they got away this week to spend time together. What an awesome time they've had. The reports look great that they just got to sit on the beach some and spend time together, and that's a blessing uh, for them as a couple. Uh, hopefully, if you are married or going to be married, you take time, intentional time, to spend time with your spouse and not just your pug. So, <laughs> at least that's what my wife says. <laughs> uh, thank you for being here this morning. I know sometimes when there's a guest speaker, it's tempting to maybe do something else, get breakfast or whatever. Uh, 
Christy Blattner and I have, Neil and Christy Blattner and I have been doing ministry for a lot of years together, a lot of years. Uh, I came to Grace in 1992. I started volunteering in the high school ministry, junior high high school ministry in 1993, and I think you were around before me. Um, that's not, you look better than I do, so it's not to, to age you at all. But they walked in this morning and sat down. They saw me getting fitted for the microphone and then stood up and started to move out. I thought they were moving out. Uh, and leaving, I thought they saw me getting ready to speak and said, oh yeah, you know, we're going to go get breakfast. It's a good couple times. Spend time with your spouse. That's what I said. So, but no, they were just moving to the aisle. Neil graciously said, so we could hear you better. <laughs> There's some microphone speakers. You can hear me from everywhere. So, but thank you. We've been doing ministry a lot of years together. Many of you have been here for a lot of years and been around for a long time. And I want to recognize you this morning as well. If you're serving at Grace, thank you for doing so. This morning's theme is kind of, you know, things you see every week, things you do every week. It's kind of a common theme. It's going to be fairly simple, but I think sometimes we need to get back to the basics of things. Uh, recently, someone asked me, you know, what is, what is your vision for your life? And I said, I don't know that I have a vision for my entire life? Like, what does that look like? We don't know how long we're going to live and a lot of things. They said, no, when you're quiet, when you're alone, and when you're just thinking and you're meditating, what is the thing that comes up in your mind that you think about? And I'm a very honest person. I said, lately, it's a whole lot of Blanco Brown when I get quiet, like the two-step just goes off or the it's not called the two-step, but that's how the words go. The get-up, that song goes off in my mind when I get quiet. If I turn the radio off in my car and I'm just kind of driving along and listening, have you guys heard the song? It's a little dance craze song. I don't know, but that's what goes off in my head, but that's not a good vision for my life. So I was honest with them, and they said, I've never heard that song, but I will listen to it. They called me later and said, you're twisted. Like, you can't, <laughs> that's not okay. That's not okay that that's what goes off in your head. But that is what kind of went off in my head. They said, no, dive, dive deeper. What is the vision of your life? What do you hope to accomplish? What do you hope is written on your tombstone? And I said, I, I that's somebody else's decision. I won't be here to write it. So hopefully they make a good decision. And so I didn't really have anything to give them, but it set off a thought process. And then Pastor John approached me and he said, Corey, would you be willing to speak in church while Shelly and I take a vacation? And I said, yeah, I would be willing to do that. And he gave me the subject. And so that's what I'm here, an assigned subject this morning to speak to you about. I have a question for you, similar to the question that was asked of me that kind of set off a thought process, and I hope it sets off a thought process for you. Does Grace Community Church have a culture? Do we have a culture? Don't look around. Think about it within your own mind. Do we have a culture? Culture isn't the person sitting next to you. Culture isn't what's on, you know, the, the seat next to you or what's around. Do we have a culture? We're going to explore that a little bit this morning. In Satellite, our young adult ministry, we are trying to create a culture of community, a place where you don't have to believe to belong. I tell our young adults, new people who come to Satellite often, you don't have to believe to belong. You're here. This is where you should be. And God has a place for you in this ministry, even if you don't believe in God. Like, come here and be a part of the community. There are good people in this community. There are good people to spend time with outside of church, outside of what's going on here. There's a great culture of community being developed or developed in satellite. And I tell them, you don't have to believe to belong. And then I look them in the eyes and I say, but you do have to believe to leave. So please, stick around long enough to understand what we're about. Stick around long enough to know 
what we hope God will show you through this community of young adults. Our young adults are awesome. They're doing great things. Five of them a couple weeks ago took the right hand of fellowship. They're living love on campuses and workplaces and all around the world. You saw them leading us in worship this morning. There's some great things going on in the lives of the people on this platform. If you don't know them, get to know them. After church today, stay long enough to introduce yourself, to get to know them, to hear what their hopes and dreams are. Their hopes and dreams will inspire you. I guarantee it. So the question is, does Grace Community Church have a culture? When I ask myself that question, when I reflect on it, I immediately go to the sign out front. Are we living the very basic of what we put in front of the entire community of Visalia? When people drive by our church, what do they think about this building? When they get beyond the Hershey Kiss-shaped building, like we should paint it silver and call it a Hershey Kiss. When they get beyond that, what do they think? They see the sign. Are we living a culture of grace? Are we living a culture of community? Are we living a culture of church? Now, not church by the way the world defines it, but church by the way the Bible defines it, by what Jesus defined as church, what the early church defined as church. Are we living that culture? Listen, I think at the very basic, church culture or culture in general is birthed from vision. If somebody's going to start up a company, they come up with a vision for that company. Who do they hope to sell to? Who do they hope to market to? And there are demographics. Even in television, when they come up with a new television show or a movie, they think, okay, this is our target demographic. This is the important demographic that we need to reach in order to be successful. And they have a vision for whatever movie or whatever television show they're going to develop. Whatever widget they're going to sell, they come up with a vision. What is the vision of Grace Community Church? Right? Are you guys... We see it every Sunday. We see the vision of Grace Community Church every Sunday. Hopefully you guys are looking over my head now and not at me. I am not the vision of Grace Community Church, although I have worked for Grace Community Church for 21 years. I have come here a lot longer than that, attended here and served here a lot longer than that. I accepted Jesus Christ in our student center when it was our worship center. I have sat under the leadership of the pastors of our church my entire Christian faith life. So in some ways, I am a product. And you don't have to like me, but you do have to love me. That's what the Bible says, right? But I am not the vision of Grace Community Church. It goes deeper than that. It goes further than that. It started before me, and it will extend after me. What is the vision of Grace Community Church? You know, Jesus had a vision for the church. He told Peter, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Jesus' vision for the church is that rock by rock, sometimes, you know, sometimes small pebble by pebble, he would build the church. Person by person, he would build the church. I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. The church is being built rock by rock. Last words are kind of important. A lot of people are remembered by their last words. Um, one of the things that surprises me is when you just do a basic search for last words that people spoke, have spoken, you hear the emptiness in some people's lives, and you hear the fullness in some people's lives. And sometimes I don't think people know it's their last words. 
like Mother Teresa. Her last words were, I can't breathe. A life well lived. She had nothing else to say. All she could say at that last moment was, I can't breathe, and ushered into the presence of God. Joan Crawford. You guys know Joan Crawford? Some of the younger people will shake their head no. That's next service, but I'm going to bring it up anyway. (laughs) Joan Crawford, you know, she had spent a torturous life in Hollywood, adopted children and abused them, allegedly. Uh, Things weren't good for her. And in her last days, she was being cared for by some, some of the house help, some of the people that she uh, hired to care for her, nurses she had hired to care for her. And when they knew it was about time for her to breathe her last breath, they said a prayer for her. You know what her last words on this earth were? Don't you dare ask God to help me. To the help that were there when she breathed her last breath. James Brown He said, I'm going away tonight. And then he did. John Quincy Adams said this. President John Quincy Adams said this. This is the last of earth. I am content. I think about last words and the importance. There were some last instructions, at least that we find in Matthew, and we think they're probably Jesus' last instructions to his gathered disciples that I think is very, very important for us this morning. And I am going to find my glasses, and we are going to read it together. Matthew 28. I said we were going kind of back to the basics this morning. Here we are. Matthew 28, the Great Commission. I'm going to start at 16 to give you time to catch up, but really the verses are 18 and forward. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Now get this picture in your mind. These are 11 people who walked with Jesus, who knew who he was, who listened to him and sat under his teaching. These are the only 11 people present at this time. And it says, and they worshiped him and some doubted. You're going to have doubts on days. I spoke with someone recently, a special needs person in our satellite ministry, and he approached me and he said, Corey, sometimes I have doubts. When I sing or when I read the word of God, I I just have doubts. And I said, Nathaniel, you're not alone. Like a lot of people had doubts. And here we're reminded, I brought this story up to him, and I said, here we're reminded that even people who walked with Jesus, who knew who he was, who sat under his teaching on some level, doubted. And Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the the end of the age. Those are the last recorded instructions from Jesus in the book of Matthew, and maybe the last recorded instructions from Jesus. So how does this fit into the vision that has become and is becoming the culture of Grace Community Church? How do I break this down for you this morning? How do we as a church break this down? When I ask the question, what is the vision of Grace Community Church? It's a fairly easy question to answer. You see it every Sunday that you're here. If you're new, you will see those words in front of you every Sunday, inspiring Christ-likeness. But now the question is, what does it mean to inspire Christ-likeness. 
Inspiration, I looked it up. It's the process of being mentally stimulated to do or feel something. You should be inspired every Sunday when you leave here. If you can't be inspired by the message when we open the word of God, you should be inspired by one of the songs or one of the people you come into contact with because you didn't come for the message this morning. You are the message this morning. We are opening the word of God and we are studying the word of God, but you are God's message to the community of Visalia and beyond. And you should be inspired by the people sitting around you. You should be inspired by the people put before you. I don't know that my life's an inspiration. I know TJ's life, Sylvia's life, Emily's life, Sydney's, Danica, Cameron's. If you study their lives, if you get to know them, you'll be inspired by them. I'm inspired by Pastor John a lot. And I don't only say that because he's going to listen to this recording later. A fascinating fact, he doesn't sign my paychecks. Right? So I'm inspired by Pastor John. What John and Shelley have been through recently is an inspiration to me. What many of you have been through in your lives recently, it's an inspiration to me. It helps me to feel good to feel like I'm a part of something bigger than me. I hope you feel like you're a part of something bigger than you, bigger than this building, bigger than this congregation, something that God is doing not only in this room, but outside of this room, in this community, beyond, all over California. And because you give to missions at this church all over this world, we have a great working relationship with Daryl and Maureen Graham, and several times a year we go down and we try to inspire them in their lives and what they're doing. And what happens is the people who go down and do that, they're inspired themselves. Hopefully when you gather here on Sunday morning, you're inspired by something. If you're not, can I just tell you, like frankly, you don't have to raise your hand, I'm not gonna call you out, but if you're not inspired by something you come in contact with on Sunday morning, I blame you. You haven't come in contact with the right things, with what God brought you here for. Christ-likeness, it's not a word that you can look up in the dictionary. But it basically means being like Jesus Christ. Pretty simple. In our church, I get to hear a lot of people's stories. And recently, I sat down with Andrew. And Andrew began to tell me a story that was completely unbelievable. But it's been fact-checked, and it, is, it can be believed. You can believe me when I share this story with you this morning. And if I don't get everything correct, have Andrew correct me and my story. Andrew's a high schooler in our church. And recently, he was in his room, in his bed, close to midnight, ready to go to sleep, and his door opened in his house, in his bedroom, where he was dressed for bed and ready to go to sleep. And at the, at the other side of that door opening was a stranger, a young man, who had entered their home and wasn't supposed to be there. And he said, oh, you're here. And Andrew was like, yeah, I kind of belong here. And he began to have a conversation with the guy, the stranger that has come into his house. And he realized that the guy was looking for a place to sleep. He thought the house was empty or deserted. He found an open door. He came in. He was looking for a bed to sleep in because he had no place to go. Andrew took the young man out to their backyard and he was hungry, so on the way, he grabbed him an apple. I don't know if he gave him a water or something to drink or not, but he sat down with the young man and, and talked to him for a little while and had given him an apple. And in the conversation, he learned a little bit about the guy. And then he, the guy said, maybe I should go. And Andrew was like, probably 
best. Andrew's parents were home, and he was probably thinking, I need to go to bed. But he said, yeah, let me pray for you. And Andrew prayed for the young man and then let him leave. And then Andrew went into his parents' room where they were sleeping, and his mom was like, hey, can't this wait till morning? Andrew said, no, I think I have something to tell you now. And he shared the story with them, and they got up. And how do you encourage your kid in that moment? Because first of all, they've entertained a stranger inside the home, which is a scary thing. And how do you tell your child that now it's time to do the right thing and to call the police and make them aware before he wanders into somebody else's home? So the police found the young man at 7-Eleven. The story was verified. Now listen, young people in this room, if a stranger comes into your room, I'm not encouraging you to go to the kitchen and get them an apple and entertain them. But what an inspirational story that is. That the first thing on his mind wasn't, he was so safe and so secure in his home, in his life that had been built for him. So safe and so secure in Jesus that his initial thought was, how do I care for the needs of this person who broke into my home? That's an inspirational story. And those inspirational stories are all around us. Now, listen, you guys will send me emails and you will approach me and you will tell me everything that's wrong with that story and I appreciate it. There is so much wrong with that story and his parents know it and Andrew knows it and he's been well-versed in how scary that moment was for everybody involved. But to have that mindset that his first thought was to provide for the needs of the person who approached him, that's inspirational to me. Jesus said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, and now we have been given that authority. We have been given that authority through Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus Christ, we've been given that authority to go out and make disciples. So he tells us what to do. After he gives us those words, he tells us what to do. And the first thing, if you're familiar with our mission purpose, mission purpose statement at the church, it's inspiring Christ's likeness by first reaching out. If you're taking notes, write down reaching out. I think that's the go portion of the Great Commission. It's interesting to me that Jesus' words weren't stay. Jesus' words weren't rest. Jesus' words weren't come. He said go. Go and make disciples. Go. That's the first step. It's an action step. This morning, we're going to finish up and sometime around noon, you're going to leave this campus. And you will have been commissioned not just by me, but by Jesus himself to go. Not to stay. Not to rest. Not to come. But to go. It's an action step. And we need to take action in our community, in our surrounding areas. This morning, there's a lot of empty seats in here. And I say it nearly every time I preach, and I say it to the young adults often too. It is not my responsibility to fill those seats. There are people you come into contact with that I may never meet unless you bring them here and put them in those seats. We don't have an opportunity to meet them. And if these seats get filled, we have more seats on either side in both closets to add more seats to this, this room. We have work to do. There are people in this community that need Jesus, and this is a great place to come, a safe place to come. Jesus didn't say protect the church, keep it holy just for the people who are in the church. We're called to go. 
And in our culture, this is the primary way that we bring people or invite people into our spiritual lives by inviting them into our church, by telling their children that they can go to Awana, by telling their young children that beach camp is an awesome thing that we do over the summer and they can be a part of that, by telling the young adults that we come into contact with that, hey, I know this world's difficult. I know that the time you're going through is one of the most difficult times in life, but we have a community of people that will change your life. And all of you can say amen. This is an awesome church. And we have great things going on. But they're not great things going on for each of us individually. They're great things going on for us in the community that we live in. That we might live out the go portion of the Great Commission. The second thing is raising up. And making disciples. The words Peter gave Jesus are very important. I said that wrong. It's in my notes wrong. I had to pause and read it for a moment. The words that Jesus gave Peter are very, very important. Typos happen even in sermon notes. The words that Jesus gave Peter are very, very important. And I will build. And I will build. The church isn't built past tense. It is being built, present, ongoing tense. We don't get to decide when Jesus completes the building of the church. Jesus will build his church we don't get to close the doors to, to lay the last brick, to say when the final seat is filled. The church is ever-evolving, changing, new faces, new team members, new ways of doing it. Jesus said to Peter, and I will build. And Jesus is building, rock by rock, in our culture today, seat by seat. Are you guys familiar with the Winchester story? Sarah Winchester, it's a really odd story, and it's actually kind of spooky, but Sarah Winchester was the widow of Winchester. And again, like Andrew's story, I may get some of, these, some of the facts on this wrong. You can correct me later. But Sarah Winchester built a home in, near, in or near San Jose, and she believed that she was haunted by all of the ghosts of the people who were killed by the Winchester rifle. And she believed that as long as she kept building her home, they would be appeased. That the ghosts would be appeased. So she was building for the ghosts of people who were killed by the Winchester rifle. And she built into her home confusing stairways and confusing things to try to confuse these spirits that haunted her. She continued to build. She didn't build herself. She oversaw the building. She was really a sad study that her life was so built upon what was going on in this world that she just continued her entire life building her house and yes there were a lot of crazy things it's october it's a month that you could tell your kids the story of winchester and it would fit right into what our culture says what our culture is doing this month but she continued jesus is not building in the same way that she built. He's not using the same materials. Brick and mortar doesn't mean a whole lot to Jesus. It's not how he's building. He's building in each one of you, just like he did in Peter. He's building in each person that you bring into this room, just like he did with Peter. The disciples 
in Acts were very, very serious about building this church that Jesus told them to go and build. They were very serious about making disciples. This is how serious they were. They were preaching in the temple courts. There's a lot leading up to this I won't share with you, and there's a lot that happens after that I don't need to share with you. You can read about that in the book of Acts. But they were preaching in the temple courts, and they ended up getting arrested for preaching a message that was contrary to what they thought should be preached there because they were preaching Jesus, and they were imprisoned, and they could find nothing wrong with what they were doing, and so they flogged them and let them go. Listen, it's an easy read. It's an easy Passover read to say they flogged them and let them go. But if you understand flogging, if you dig just a little bit deeper, it means that the disciples were whipped 40 times several of which would be on the chest and several of which would be on the back. And they actually, it was illegal to whip them more than 40 times. So they would only whip them 39 times just to make sure that if they missed a count, they wouldn't be outside the law. These disciples were flogged and released. The next day they were in the temple courts preaching the message that God had given them. If any blood was drawn during that flogging, they were bleeding while they were preaching the gospel message of Jesus Christ. This is how important it was to them. Jesus' words were so important to them that they said, regardless of what happens to us, we will preach the gospel message. And many of them gave their life for that message. All of them gave their life for that message. What do we do? Are we making disciples? Are we inviting people in to our lives? Are we sharing our culture and our vision with other people? We get in a fender bender car accident and sometimes we lay ourselves up in bed for a couple days because we're a little bit sore. And that's the right thing to do. To rest, to recover, to be fully ready. The disciples didn't take that time. They were back in the temple courts. They knew it was serious. They knew the message that God had given them depended upon them and that they needed to spread it right then, that there wasn't time to recover from being imprisoned and flogged. Sometimes on Sunday mornings, and this isn't meant to make everybody here feel bad. Actually, you should feel good. You're here at a boy, at a girl, we're all together. So this isn't meant to make anybody feel bad, but on Sunday morning, sometimes we wake up and we think we have a little headache. Or there's a lot of other things that can distract us from getting together. We have a lot going on in our church. We have our groups, children's ministry, junior high ministry, high school ministry, satellite, which is our young adult ministry, men's ministry, women's ministries, ABF, and a lot of other things going on in our church. Things that could fill up your week, meant to to encourage you in the off hours when we're not gathered together corporately to worship God. And those things are all great. But we need to be at those things. We need to be present at those things. You need to be present here. I tell the young adults of our church that a lot of times when you come to satellite on Thursday night, you need something from God. You come because you need something from God. It's been a tough week. It's been hard. Life is difficult. You're fighting with your parents. You're fighting with your boyfriend or girlfriend or things are difficult and you think to yourself, I just want to go and worship God. I just want to hear the message and I just want it to, to heal me in some way. It's about me. And that's okay. Sometimes when you come on Sunday morning, it's about you. It's about what you're going to get out of the message. It's about needing the people around you to encourage and bless you. 
right? Because when you come here, you're encouraged and blessed. People lean in and give you hugs. Some of you aren't huggers, but you still give hugs. We do a greeting time in church. I'm not a huge fan. I'm a little bit of a germaphobe and shaking people's hands sometimes. You know, you guys are all clean people and it's nothing against you. But sometimes when you shake a lot of hands, especially during cold and flu season, it makes me a little tense. But I, I do it because I love you guys. And I want to encourage you and I want to bless you. Now everybody's going to come up and shake my hand afterwards. <laughs> But you get hugs, you get encouragement, and sometimes you need that, and so you come here because you think, I'm going to have a need fulfilled. I'm going to get to worship. I'm going to get to hear from God. I'm going to get to hear from so-and-so, who is always an encouragement and a blessing to me. And then some Sundays you wake up and you think, I really, I'm good. I don't need anything this morning. On those Sundays, you're the person that somebody else needs. You need to be here. We need to make this a priority. We need to grow together. We need to do this faith thing together because there's no inspiration like the inspiration I find in just being together as a family. There are a lot of young adults in our church that their families aren't believers. They don't come from a household of faith. And what you're teaching them just by being here, just by worshiping God alongside them, is a lifetime of faith. It's life-giving. I hope you understand that. I hope you're about that. Be an encouragement. Be a blessing. Sometimes you come because you need it, but most of the time you come because you are it. You are the encouragement or the blessing. And then there's reverencing Christ together. Baptizing, teaching, and Jesus is with us. Go make disciples, baptizing them in, name of, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Teaching the Word of God. This is how we do church. There's a song by Hillsong that says, People come together, strange as neighbors. When we gather on Sunday morning, we gather as one family. And across Visalia, across California, the Western time zone, and across the world on Sunday mornings, the church gathers to worship God. Not because God needs it, because the church needs it. This is our time to come together. I went to a basketball game, an NBA game, a couple of years ago. Oh, it was only a year ago. Time doesn't fly as fast as I thought it did. It was only a year ago I went to an NBA game. Do you know the culture of an NBA game? Have you ever been to a professional sporting event? It gets crazy. They have chants that they sing. They have things that they do. In baseball, there's like some song that goes on during the seventh inning. And it is an entire culture of what happens. People, last night I was watching the New York Houston game. I'm not a huge baseball follower, but I was watching the New York-Houston game, and in the first inning, Houston fans were out of their seats, and they were swinging things around, and they had so much energy, and in the ninth inning, Houston fans were out of their seat, and they were swinging things around, and they had so much energy. Sporting events have an entire culture in and of themselves, and people get excited. Church doesn't have the same reputation in the world. 
It should have. Now, now, I'm not telling you to jump out of your seats and swirl things around, and we're not in the seventh inning stretch. It's not time to sing about Cracker Jacks and things like that. But I am telling you that we should be excited. We should be excited about what God's doing here. We should be excited about coming together as a community of believers. And yes, sometimes when I share with you, maybe it's a little bit boring. Maybe you're not out of your seat. Maybe you're not super excited about what, what's going on. I'm not the best batter in the world. If I played baseball, people would laugh. I talked about my mic being on during worship. If you heard me at all, you were probably laughing. I'm not telling you that I'm the best at what I do. I don't deserve a multi-million dollar contract. I know that. But we're here together. And we are doing the most important thing we can do with our lives. We are worshiping God. As God's people, we are fueling ourselves, filling up our tanks so that we can get out in this world and live a life of love and love people into the kingdom of God. This is stuff we should be excited about. This is stuff we can get excited about. And we could take our church friends to those games and we can live in the culture of that game and have a lot of fun. Our church service is the hub of all we do at GCC. I tell the young adults who come on Thursday night, look, this isn't church. We try to structure our ministry in satellite so that they don't feel like they're in church on a Thursday night or on a Sunday morning ABF. We don't want them to feel like church. You know why that is? Because we want them to know that this is their church. Right here in this room, sitting under the preaching of their pastor, who is John, their shepherd, the man chosen by God to lead this congregation in the word, in worship. Our church service is the hub of all we do at GCC. Everything we do in all the other ministries, everything we can get excited about outside of here, all the other innings that we play leading up to in here on Sunday morning, the ninth inning, every other inning we play throughout the week stems from what goes on in here. None of that exists without your giving without your obedience to scriptures, without your obedience to God, without us gathering as a church, none of that happens. Where, where vision is cast, culture creates or exists. Where we create culture, a culture of grace, a, a culture of community, a culture of church, this is the most important thing we do. We live to inspire Christ-likeness, not just on Sundays, but every day of the week. This is your fueling station. This is where we come together and we get taught by the shepherd chosen by God to shepherd us, to lead us. And we should be excited about that. We need to make it a priority. Sometimes you come because you need something. Sometimes you come because some, somebody needs something from you. So I'm going to ask you again, what is the culture that our vision has created? Do you even know the mission purpose statement? It's pretty simple. You see it every Sunday, inspiring Christ's likeness by reaching out, raising up, and reverencing Christ together. What are you doing this week to reach out? How are you raising up? Maybe you serve in children's ministry. Do you know you're fulfilling part of the purpose and mission statement of this church 
that you're creating culture in our church when you serve in children's ministry or junior high ministry, bless you if you serve in junior high ministry or high school ministry, you know that you are fulfilling part of the mission purpose statement of this church, that you're fulfilling the vision that, that has been given to us by the leadership of this church. When you serve, you're raising up. Have you been to the children's ministry? Have you seen those little children and the excitement that exists in those rooms? Of course, they get coloring pages and you didn't this morning, but they're excited to be here. And they're beautiful. Our junior high students, they're not just hanging out on Sunday mornings in the junior high room doing crazy stuff. They're going on their campuses, places that you and I can't go. In the culture we live in, please, we can't go there. We can't just wander onto the junior high campus. We'll find ourselves in an office and maybe into a car later that will take us someplace else. So don't just wander onto the junior high campus hoping to share Jesus with somebody in the junior high. Actually pour into the life of a junior higher and send them out to do it. That's the culture of Grace Community Church. That's the culture of grace. That's the culture of community and that's the culture of church. So what culture has our vision created? Rock by rock, seat by seat. God is doing amazing things in this church and outside this church because you show up in big ways. And this church has changed so much in my 21 years on staff and even longer attending this church. And it will continue to change. New people, different people, new ministry, different ministry. But you know what won't change? Is that this church, it has nothing to do with this location. And it has everything to do with all of you. When Jesus said he was going to build the church, rock by rock, seat by seat, he meant you. That you're a part of something. And that's what everybody wants to, to be, is a part of something. So when you leave here today, and I like to close this way, you're going to go to lunch, you're going to spend time with people, you're going to have a waiter, you're going to have somebody next to you at the gas station, and you're going to have opportunities, divine appointments, to share the vision of Grace Community Church, to share the culture of Grace Community Church, to put somebody who hasn't been here before in one of these empty seats next week. I challenge you to do it. Quick story, and we'll end with this. I was at the gas station uh, just over a month ago. And that morning when I got dressed, I never leave money in my pocket, the pockets of my pants, never. And if I do, my wife does laundry and she finds it and then it ends up in her pocket. So it rarely makes it back to the closet. It rarely makes it back to the closet. But that morning when I put on my pants, I reached my hand into my pocket and there was $60 in my pocket. And I was like, that's interesting. I don't remember where that came from, but thank you, God. That's like a blessing. So I stuck it back in my pocket, got to the gas station, I put my card in and started pumping gas. And this lady approached me. She had parked next, next to me in the aisle next to me. She said, I'm sorry to bother you, but I just don't have money for gas. Do you have money for gas? And I went, it's your lucky day. Like I put on these pants this morning and I have $60. And so I believe that God wanted you to have this money to put gas in your car. It was a real Bob Goff moment and I got really excited about it. And so I gave it to her and we went and we paid for her gas and she filled up her tank. Now listen, what happens next? Don't hold me to, we can actually stop the recording because I don't want anybody outside this room to hear it. This is what happened next. Her car took $58 to fill up and there were $2 left. And she, 
the lady handed it to me. The lady behind the counter handed me the $2 and I went, there's $2, what do we do with this? I was like, I got a great idea. Let's buy a lottery ticket. So we bought a lottery ticket. Don't do this at home, kids. <laughs> I bought a lottery ticket and we won. We scratched and we won together. We were having the best time, me and this stranger that I don't even know her name, that I just put $60 worth of gas that God had given her into her tank. And I continued to scratch and I continued to win. And ultimately, at one point, I had to call it off because I had to get to work. And listen, the lady was like, you are leaving with $180. Now listen, I'm not saying play the lottery, slot machines, anything. And I said, no, actually I'm only leaving with $90. And the lady behind the counter was like, what do you mean you're only leaving with $90? I was like, well, I had a partner in crime. She was scratching with me. So that lady got a tank full of gas and $90 and we left. And when I went to change for satellite that night, it was on a Thursday night. And get this, I was preaching on stewardship. <laughs> Listen, this is a bad story. So I was preaching on stewardship that night, and people can verify this story. This is true. I went to put on my clothes that I was going to wear to satellite that night, and I reached in my pocket, and you know what was in my pocket? Sixty more dollars. All of that was probably God blessing that lady. I have not seen her at church. She knows where I attend. She thinks... It's crazy that Christians don't play the lottery, and I told her, you're right, on most days, please don't tell my boss. But <laughs> today, today God has blessed you, and God's given you an amazing gift. And I think I'm going to catch up with her sometime, and I'm going to hear about it. Let me pray for you. Father God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for an opportunity to come together to worship you. What an important day it is, Sunday where we get to come and be a part of the community of faith that exists right here at 424 North Lovers Lane, God. All over this community, all over this city, all over this state, and all over this world, people are gathering today to worship you because you are the true and only God. And as we leave here today, our work is not done. You called us to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing, preaching, sharing the things that you have instructed us God, this is a great place to do that. And I pray that we would be challenged and encouraged in our daily life to keep divine appointments, people that you set before us to invite into this wonder, wonderful community of faith. God bless us as we go for here, from here. Thank you for being a blessing in our life. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you, guys. Enjoy your Sunday. <laughs>